Here we go again. Take two. Today is March 24th, 2015, and this is episode 110 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. Hi, Jerry. Hello, Mr. Grumpy Pants. Yeah, I had one of those days where I wanted to kill every person I encountered. But did not. Correct. The thoughts and opinions we express on this podcast are ours and do not represent those of our employer. That's true. That's true. Although we don't have any employers or sponsors, we do we do have a conference. That's that is very true. That likes us. It is the High Tech Crime Investigation Association. And they are They've invited us, actually, to come down and partake of their conference and host a, a podcast and do some interviews with, with some of their speakers. Wait, interview? We don't do interviews. No, no well, we're going to break our rules here. Oh, oh, craziness. Craziness on the show. And hey, you know what? Uh, discount, 10% off for our listeners, if you want to go to the show, which is sizable because it's like a $600 ticket. That's right. It's, it's, it's non-trivial. So that's like... That's like sixty bucks off, and uh, uh, and we have a ticket to give away, which we have yet to figure out how to give it away. Sooner or later, we'll figure that out. So, as one of our regular twenty-eight listeners, if you have a good, fair, valid, interesting, fun, and slightly humiliating way that you can think of for us to uh, give away this ticket to a worthy listener, uh, drop us a note at info at defensivesecurity dot org. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and so is just a reminder. The uh, you looking for the date? Yes, it's the weekend before Labor Day. It's the last weekend in August. Now, the ticket we have to give away doesn't have accommodations, doesn't have travel, so just correct. Know. However, it is worth um, five hundred ninety-five. Five hundred ninety-five. We could give it away, or we could sell it and make this a, a, a like a profitable venture for us. I don't. I don't think that's what they intended. No, I don't think and, so either. And they probably would be, you know, grumpy. Slightly vexed with us. Yeah. I, I would be if I were them. So, All right. So how about this? How about this instead? Whoever we somehow come up with some way to give it away to, if we go, which um, my boss gave me the blessing, by the way, um, they have to buy us a drink. Hey, how about that? You know, well, let's just say they don't have to buy us a drink because that's probably something unethical. Um, it would be awfully nice of them. True. True. Yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm done with that. So yes, uh, visit the website for the conference. It's uh, the the High Tech Crime Investigation Association. It's uh, htcia.org, and you can find the event registration page there. Again, it's August 30th through September 2nd of this year in Orlando, Florida. De- more details are on the website. As Mr. Callett said, we get a 10% discount if you use the code Defensive Security without. A space. So we're, we're almost fancy. We have like our own code now. I know. How about that? So, anyhow, let's uh, go ahead and get into our stories for the day. Um, the first, actually, we've got two that are are very much related, and uh, this has to do with the recent Primera hack. Uh, so I think this happened actually about two weeks ago now. The story, in case you haven't heard it, is that Primera, which I believe is a California-based healthcare company, had someone uh, steal a bunch of records, 11 million in fact. And some interesting things have come out in the days and weeks since. We didn't talk much about it because it was really just, there, there was no, no detail other than they, they lost a bunch of records. Uh, but, but however, now we have some interesting information. Uh, the first story we have comes from InfoWorld, and the title is Primera Anthem Primera and Anthem Data Breaches Linked by Similar Hacking Tactics. 
So if you think back to our coverage of the Anthem hack, one of the one of the really interesting items that came out was the hackers apparently, you know, obviously this isn't a, a, a sure thing, but apparently used a doppelganger domain. So at the time, Anthem was known as WellPoint, and the hacking collective known as Deep Panda, which is widely believed to be behind this, uh, this attack and uh, Anthem, you registered a domain called we11point.com. And presumably the idea was that it was used in a phishing campaign. Well, a number of researchers have found that there was another domain associated in a number of different dimensions um, based on IP address and some malware that was associated with the IP address and some digital certificates that were signed uh, with you know, the, the malware that was associated with that address, uh, common between the Anthem attack and, uh, possibly this premier attack and also some other, uh, prior attacks. Uh, but what they found was a domain named or called P-R-E-N-N-E-R-A. And the idea there, I think, is that the two N's kind of make it look like a, a single M and again, useful in a phishing attack. So uh, there's really been very little detail about actually how, at least that I've been able to find, about how the Primera attack went down. But it seems, you know, it seems kind of uh, logical. This is a a pretty well-worn path for for attacking organizations. So the the other the other story we have is, oh, go ahead. So here's the interesting thing, right? They're trying to say they're linked because they're using similar tactics. But again, this comes back to the difficult challenge for attribution. Yeah, well, the, I think there were a couple of other factors too. There was a common IP address hmm, okay. linked and also some, some malware that was signed by the, you know, again, this is a little, little less tight, uh, but there was a certificate from the company Dtop Tools, which is apparently a Korean company who seems like they must have had their certificate stolen. So, uh, in in related but unrelated news, uh, Google came out to say that they had some pretty nasty certificate issues they found. Yes. So clearly, certs are a challenge. Is what we're finding. You know. It, we were talking about burning things down to the ground. I think the the whole the whole uh, certificate authority infrastructure is really something that needs to go. <laughs> yeah, it's it, well, it works fine if you can protect it. Uh, clearly, we can't. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like herding cats, right? So that's true. So you know, very well could be the same gang, could be the same group, could be, you know, if they're successful one place, they're certainly not going to just stop. And if they've got successful tactics, why as we use them again? But the only thing I want to point out about that is it's also very possible for multiple groups to be using the same tactics. Uh, they could be trading notes, they could be trading code, uh, they could be buying the same toolkits, uh, there doesn't need to be unique fingerprints for every group out there. And this is goes back to, once again, the problem with attribution. Oh, absolutely. So, so anyway, moving on. on. Moving on. Our, the next related story comes from the register, and the title is Premier Healthcare U.S. Government Security Audit Gave Hacked Biz a Thumbs Up. What, Shocking. What, what's really interesting about this particular story is that there are two different kinds of stories running around with you know, about the same government report. So this this article right here kind of points out that the government ended up you know basically saying that from from uh, from their perspective Primera was compliant with HIPAA requirements based on an audit done by the uh, Office of Personal Management. Um, but then there's another, there's a whole bunch of other articles being written about the same, you know, the same deal saying that 
you know, really pointing out some findings in that report, which were apparently later corrected. And, and so uh, there were, in, in this Office of Personal Management uh, audit, the, they found that Primera had a patch management process and policies, and I think they, in fact, said it was pretty good. But uh, when they actually looked at the systems, they weren't really patched. So they had a great policy, or great process, but apparently not very good execution. Uh, and and you know that is very unclear whether that had any any bearing on the attack, right? If this was in fact a phishing attack, you know, it's conceivable that that didn't play any any material part. But what's really interesting and the point of the story is that, you know, their their conclusion is that, you know, either A, the, the things that were found in this report, which kind of coincided, you know, that the, the actual audit happened just before the initial breach actually happened back in May of 2014. So either, either the breach resulted or... or the, the find some of these findings played a part in the breach, or they didn't. And if they didn't, then that kind of means that HIPAA is really not that effective. Well, I think this also goes to something we saw in one of the reports recently, which is, I think it was the Verizon's PCI report, that companies have a problem with continuous compliance. They're very good at hitting compliance for the sample and for the the audits. And then as soon as those audits are, are, are done, they start to slip away. So it's very possible that Premier could have been in decent shape when the audit was going on, or at least for the sample that was presented to the auditor, and then quickly got themselves back to a uncompliant or poor state once that compliance uh, audit was complete. Yeah. My, my experience has been it's really difficult for an auditor to, you know, t- to test to really test everything in in such a way to be able to assert that things are consistently the way they should be across the the, the entire state, and whether that's PCI or or HIPAA, you really can't do it in any organization of any significant size. So, you know, whether it's whether it's sliding after the audit completes, or just they didn't happen to stick their temp, their thermometer in the right place. You know, yeah, you don't I really think that's know. fair. And as we've said over and over again, just because you're compliant does not mean that you have uh, assured yourself of breach-free living. Right, right. But it's interesting that the uh, the, the management of Primera seems to be running around in, in the media saying, uh, but the OPM declared us compliant with HIPAA. And you know, I think they're they're really hoping, as far as I can tell, to get some mileage out of that and maybe avoid a fine or something. Well, this goes back to you know Sony pictures with Mandy saying, hey, there's no way anyone could have defended against this. Right. You know, it's PR and perhaps fine air cover. I would imagine so. So. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, I guess we don't, unfortunately, we don't really know how this was, was perpetrated, but, you know, the indications are that it probably originated with a phishing attack. And so, you know, I think we've beat the drum to, into the ground about the things you can do to um, uh, to mitigate those kinds of risks. But, you know, again, I think this, this kind of points out another systemic problem that we have, which is we can't tell when people are in and we can't tell when they're pulling the data out. And, you know, I don't think, uh, you know, unfortunately... None of these regulatory regime, regimes, HIPAA, you know, PCI, you know, they they all have requirements for encryption, and and all of them have weasel words on when it when it does and doesn't apply, and and you know, un- inevitably people like this seem to find opportunities to <laughs> to not apparently not encrypt the data, or it's in it's in such a manner that the the attack plays out in such a manner that the encryption ultimately was rendered useless and because they didn't you know that when the control set was defined they didn't really consider the attack vector that ultimately was was thrust on them and yeah. you know, i just think this this kind of 
points out to a systemic poor systemic poor performance in threat modeling and risk assessments. Uh, as well as our ability to detect anomalies. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And it's it's a systemic problem. Absolutely. It's it's something I've seen over and over again at many, many customers. A lot of folks are just keeping their head above water. And to really lock this stuff down, especially egress monitoring, egress controls, you really have got to have the time to get above you know, the churn of just putting in firewall tickets or addressing issues or running around and tracking down the help desk ticket of the day. And that's a challenge for a lot of organizations. Uh, but I, I think we've got to, to really do that. And having good detection grid, having good technology, and really understanding what's normal in your environment. Um, I was talking to a buddy at, uh, you know, a who was in InfoSec at a company that shall not be named. And he was telling me that um, they spotted 26 gig of traffic leaving the environment in a day. They're like, holy cow, what's this? And, you know, he wouldn't give me a lot of details, but at the end of the day, it turned out this was normal. It was um, something that was supposed to be there, but it's difficult to know that unless you really know your environment. Sorry, I'm being a little cagey here, but I don't want to get into confidential stuff that I shouldn't share. But uh, unless you know what's normal in your environment, it's really difficult to spot anomalies. So if you're just looking at your biggest talkers, you may be missing lots of stuff too. You know, the low and slow. And, you know, the bad guys are not stupid. They know that you might be looking at your biggest talkers. But, uh, you know, sometimes that works too. You know, we still haven't heard the whole deal, details on Sony, but with the amount of data they exfiltrated, I'm sure that they would have been on some some top talkers lists if that stuff had been looked at. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. You know, the, there's another thing. Just to get philosophical for a second, we we were at B sides Atlanta. Uh, I guess it was the week before last, and uh, our our good buddy. Martin Fisher gave the final talk of the day and he was talking about the, I think it was how to speak to muggles or I don't remember exactly the, the, the title of it, but one of the points, I think one of the fundamental points he was, was uh, raising is that as information security people, we're, we're here to support the mission of the business and the mission of the business isn't to be secure for security's sake. And so, you know, I, I, it's, it's difficult to figure out how to walk the line between doing enough and doing what the business wants you to do. And so I often, when I read these stories, I often wonder, you know, was this, you know, was this a, for lack of a better word, was this a conscious decision to be where they're at and to, to accept the risk that ultimately manifested whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- Two assumptions with that statement that they understood the risk they were accepting and that they consciously made that decision. But I absolutely agree with your point that there are times where we in security don't get our way and that the needs of the business absolutely outweigh the risk. Right. The The challenge is knowing that balance, especially when you're not in a heavily regulatory and regula- regulated environment where some of that may be dictated to you is, is, is figuring that balance out. And I'll be honest with you, uh, you don't know until maybe you've been hacked that you got it wrong. Right. It's a tough, tough job. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart. heart. Uh, but at the same time, we fail so much as the basics that to get to the level of nuance that we're talking about of, you know, controls getting in the way, people getting their job done and that kind of stuff, hell, we can't even patch on a reliable basis. So, you know. Let's let's get the basics done, and then we can worry about that. And when I say we, I mean in general the industry. Yeah. Yep. But but even that, you know, here's the thing, right? It's always a choice. It's always a choice. It's always so. If you don't have the right number of people to patch your system, or the right people to patch your systems, that's a choice. That's true. And who's you know who who is responsible for accurately and, and thoroughly understanding the risk that those choices bring, even if they're implicit. And I think that's one of the, I, I would say that's probably one of the bigger 
systemic problems that we wrestle with, and we probably don't even, in general, know that we are wrestling with it, based on my experience. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, you know, I've run into situations in previous roles where, you know, you've got a VP over a business division that's just trying to get work done, and they they completely don't understand or agree with why this security control is in place that's slowing down his group's ability to get their work done. Right. And at the end of the day, they're judged on getting their work done. Correct. <laughs> so that's what they're fighting to do. And, you know, when, when you're saying, well, that's great, but, you know, I can't allow you to email home a copy of our contact database so you can work on it at home. <laughs> like, but we've got stuff to get done. And if my people want to work on the weekends, you know, they're going to do it. Well, you can't email it. Fine. We'll put it on Dropbox. Well, you can't put it on Dropbox. Fine. We'll put it on a USB stick. Well, you can't put it, you know, they, there has to be a give and take. Well, let me back that up. Depending on the culture of the organization and the culture of leadership, ultimately, they're setting the tone for the priority of security and how much control they're willing to endure to suffer productivity loss for security's sake. Right. At a certain level, we're getting away from non-transparent security techniques here. Um, but often, I don't know that that decision is escalated to a common point of leadership. I think it's often a negotiation at a low level. Uh, when I say low level, I mean, you know, medium in the organization, you know, maybe director level to director level. And it's probably not going up the food chain enough to really consciously make that decision. Um, and so the answer typically is, well, we have policies for that. Well, great, but policies typically aren't dynamic enough and flexible enough to account for all sorts of different decisions. And so normally you've got stuff that's changing every day in business and, and policies often don't keep up with that. So it's you know, I'm not saying you want to bog down your senior executives with these decisions, but sometimes that's probably where the risk decision should be made. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, at the end of the day, it's their butt that's in the hot seat when, you know, when somebody walks out the door with 11 million customer records. And, you know, it, they, you know, here's the thing, right? As a business leader, you have to have the flexibility to make a decision that might lead to that end, yeah. like it or not. Um, but I think it's just been my experience too often that whether it's, you know, whether it is, uh, you know, personalities or lack of effective communication or um, just, just ignorance, I don't, I don't often see that risk well communicated in a consumable fashion for the, those uh, top leaders. Eh, I guess I'm restating what you just said, right? For, so that they can make a <laughs> make a, a reasonable decision. So, anyway, I think we beat that one to death. The next story we've got comes from Ars Technica, and the title is "All Four Major Browsers Take a Stomping at Pwn Own Hacking Competition." So, yes, Chrome, Internet Explorer, Firefox, and Safari were all completely owned sandbox bypass system privileges and man somebody made a whole bunch of money um one one person i think got three out of the four if i recall correctly um you know the when i read this all i could think of was you know just keep your stuff patched and you'll be okay right yeah that is such a great point yeah one one person uh, earned $110,000 awesome for chrome exploit just keep your pet stuff patched and you'll be fine. <laughs> well, this is the problem, right? That especially, I mean, think about this. Think about this. This is some of the most widely deployed software on the planet. Probably has the most rigorous software review going on of almost any piece of code out there. Constantly being beat on. And still, they found 21 critical bugs. Yeah, that's right. And you know, think think about this in in the context, the bigger context. Just thinking about Internet Explorer, picking on them for a second, but the same is true for Firefox and Chrome and, and Safari. Every month, we get a flurry of critical Internet Explorer vulnerabilities, and this has been going on for a decade. 
you know, there's no end in sight. So we we just have to be cognizant that patching isn't the answer, right? It's not it's not the answer. Well, it's not the whole answer. It's not the whole I mean let me let me let me restate that. Patching isn't going to keep you safe, right? right. That is not and and unfortunately I think we're uh, and it is the best advice most often that that can be given but what what's what's the mantra that's always given keep your system patched keep your software patched and and keep your antivirus up to date neither of which really do much against a lot of the contemporary <laughs> threats and and this is just another example of that i agree with you but it's it's with it's what's within the realm of the average user to do not doing it makes it even worse, right? We have to do these things. I mean, it's kind of like saying, put your seatbelt on when you drive your car and you'll be fine. <laughs> well. <laughs> yep. I mean, some people certainly will, you know, it'll help some people. And Yeah, I just, it's it's a tough, tough problem. But going back to the original point, Obviously, zero days happen. <laughs> so, how do we deal with it? And you know what I would love to do is take these competitions, and I don't think this would happen most likely, but throw other defensive techniques at them. So, all these vendors out there who say they can save the world now by anticipating that breaches will always happen and stop them, right? So, you know, the bromiums of the world, the Invincias of the world, the bit nines of the world, all these folks who take this approach of a breach is going to happen. We're just going to cope with it and stop it. I would love to see how they would do in a, this sort of challenge environment. You know, yes, we popped Chrome, but bit nine stopped it. Or yes, we popped IE, but, you know, Invincia stopped it, you know, sort of thing. Right. Right. That I think is more real world useful information. For the enterprise defender, I what, agree. You know what is actually working in the real world to stop these sorts of attacks. Now, you you have all these organizations like NSS and Gartner and you know the rest who supposedly you know put these things to the test. But I don't know that any of them go to this level of rigor with this level of um, money on the table. And as many of the books you have recommended to read have taught us, when you put money on the table, it changes people's behavior. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> in a much you know, much more impactful way than I think most people realize. So yeah, I, you know, I actually like that idea. The more I think about it, the more I love that idea. And it, but it would ha- I think it would have to be co-located at the time this yeah. was going on. Yeah, right. No, okay. no chance. No chance to go create new signatures. None of that BS. Right. You know. Okay. Pop the browser now. Try popping the browser with this thing, this tool installed, and now try popping it with that one installed. Let's, right. you know, that's a great idea. That's that's what I think would actually be truly useful. I like it. I don't know. Maybe we could set something up. Huh? You call it pwn your mom? I don't. Th- I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think we'd have one hundred ten thousand dollars prize money. Maybe a hundred dollars. We'll have a. Sh- uh, we could give away a shirt. A shirt and a magnet. We've got magnets. <laughs> that's, that's right. So, that's right. I mean, and the problem is without real prize money, people aren't going to burn the O days, right? So you need that prize money. Right. But, uh, you know, these, these hot-to-track companies could pony up. I agree. I agree. It's yeah. it's dangerous, man. It's dangerous living, but I think it'd be highly valuable. I, you know, in, in the absence of understanding the ability for those things to mitigate this stuff, which, you know, I'm sure any, any one of them will, will convince you, <laughs> would do a good job of trying to convince you that they, that they can stop it. Mm-hmm. The thing that, that strikes me is, and I know I've, I've talked about this a lot. This stuff is dangerous and in, in. What's dangerous when you say this stuff? What do you mean? the fact that your web browser, the thing that you use most to interface with the internet is so susceptible to, you know, these significant bugs, which 
can ha- and often do happen in a manner that you know they're exploited without a patch leads me to think that generally and it you know it might be a confirmation bias type thing right but it it is further evidence to me that we have to take a much more robust if if we are going to take this problem seriously right the, right we have to take a much more robust approach to designing how our IT works well you know this is the age old debate and people have said hey you could have a secure version of windows that's going to take us 10 years to develop and cost a million dollars a copy i'm i'm not i'm not saying that we should go off and develop our own new version of windows because i think we have you know we have to live with things as they are right and, and you know i've look i've i've worked on incidents where linux was compromised i've worked on incidents where windows was compromised and iax and hpux and every other goddamn operating system out there i've seen them all compromised for some reason or other it's that's not the point that i guess the point is that it's more around you know engineering things around how they can fail right and and just more robust robust architectural designs when we implement this technology. I I concur, hundred percent agree. So um, anyway, of course it's it's always an arms race, always always. Absolutely. But I guess my my point is, I, I think I think we should look for a way to get out of the arms race. Oh, I don't know if that's possible, man. I think I think in in, in many the, respects it is with the incentives involved for the bad guys. I just there there's too much too much complexity, too much. Boy, that's a topic for another show. I agree. Well, it's <laughs> a long, long-winded topic. It's a deep. I would like to explore it. It's a deep topic. I'm tired and cranky today, so I might have to wait for another show. All right, so um. Let's move on to our next story, which comes from CSO, and the title is GoDaddy Accounts Vulnerable to Social Engineering and Photoshop. So Steve Reagan, who is a reporter, uh, apparently worked with a security researcher, uh, Vinny Troya, I guess is how you say his name, from Nightline Security. They uh, they apparently conspired to trick GoDaddy into uh, providing access uh, to Steve Reagan's account. So um, kind of like a red team type deal where this security company was trying to illicitly get this uh, Steve Reagan's domain transferred to them and was successful uh, by using some Photoshopped, uh, you know, uh, driver's licenses. So apparently when you read the article, apparently most domain registrars actually allow you to reclaim your domain using a government ID. Well, this goes to something that I touched on in my talk that I did at B-Sides. At the end of the day, this is a customer service problem. These guys have to be customer friendly, or if they're too difficult to do business with, these people will go someplace else. So it is at odds with security. They've got to be customer friendly. So they have to do something to ultimately trust the customer. I agree. And, and I don't, I'm not, you know, we can pick on GoDaddy for this, but I think this applies across the board with most organizations in this position. And I think that this is a common problem when you're dealing with customer service. And I, and I'm not willing to throw GoDaddy under the bus on this one. No, I, I, you know, it is unfortunate that they, they did seem to pick on GoDaddy. And I know there was some Twitter drama at the time because GoDaddy was apparently not... Wait, did somebody try to hug them? Oh, geez. We're going to have to come back to that, aren't we? Uh, <laughs> no, you're, you're right. I think they actually point out that there was only one registrar they found that didn't accept a photo ID. So... Um, but I guess the reason I the reason I brought it up was not to pick on GoDaddy because you're right. They're... You know, this is a customer service business, absolutely. But as a company, as an organization, we we have to be cognizant that this is a common attack tactic. 
hijacking domains is becoming in vogue. And, uh, you know, this is, this is a, especially now that there's an article out there, right? I, I wonder if there's going to be, you know, a, a new, a renewed vigor in, in this kind of attack. I don't well, know, right? You know, so GoDaddy will offer some extra layer of authentication uh, that less than 1% of their users will actually use. <laughs> yeah, know, well, that's a good point. But but I guess the point is, if you have extra layers of security available to you through your registrar, you should probably use them, but, but also be aware that, you know, old, your, your registrar may uh, may ultimately fail you. And again, we've talked about this before. Your, you know, domain, you know, your registrar is critical <laughs> to so many things. So you may want to keep an eye on that. And there's plenty of services out there you can look at to make sure uh, your DNS is not being mucked with. Absolutely. All right. So moving on to our uh, our next story, which is absolutely mind blowing in its complexity. Someone has invented the slowest way conceivable to transmit data between computers. Which I was just thinking the other day, I need a slower way to transmit data. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 obviously pretty clever, but it is, without a doubt, I think the slowest way I've ever thought. I've, I, I can't even think of a slower way. To transmit data. So, so the story here comes from, uh, the Norse blog, Norse Securities blog. Title is Bit. Which, for the record, by the way, good blog. Yes. Lots of good stuff out there. Absolutely. Props out to those guys. If if you're looking for another blog to pick up, check out Norse's blog. It's, it's not self-serving marketing. It's actually lots of good stuff. Agreed. Agreed. Sorry. Carry on. Sure. Title is Bit Whisper. Breaching air gap systems via thermal manipulation. I can't even say it without laughing. So, <laughs> this story gets me all hot and bothered. <laughs> oh, jeez. So, uh, so, so effectively, what, you know, what, what the, the attack here is, uh, can consider the situation where you have two systems, two, let's say, two desktops or two laptops sitting very close to each other. And one of them is air-gapped from the other. Or one of them is air-gapped from the internet on an isolated network. Uh, and and they're propo- the researchers here are proposing that that's probably a relatively common use case because if you're someone who uh, has to interact with an air-gapped computer, you know, the contemporary thinking would be that, you know, you just have them both underneath your desk and, you know, all is all is good in the world. However... If both systems are infected with a piece of malware, and the researchers here created some proof-of-concept malware, of course, um, what they can do is is use the you know, the temperature of the system and then the other system's uh, thermal sensors in a very crude, very low-bandwidth uh, signaling session. So, for instance... Uh, they can, they can, one computer can trigger the other, um, basically by running up its CPU, pegging its CPU at 100% and its video card at 100%. And effectively what it does is it will, uh, increase the ambient air, the, the air temperature around the unit by about a d- one degree Celsius. What do you want to bet this started with, you know, Bitcoin mining? Uh, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but that could be. Could yeah, very well city be. At a, city at home is out of vogue, and you know, <laughs> yeah, we got a whole bunch of hot computers <laughs> sitting around. <laughs> Wonder what we could do there, but uh, yeah, so, so there they have a cute little video and everything where uh, one an air gap computer has a little Nerf missile launcher attached to it, and it is given the signal to launch its missiles uh, via a. Uh, via a, a heat signal, so I um I don't know that I think this. I don't think this is really going to manifest itself into much of a practical attack. However, it is really interesting, and I thought it was uh was pretty cool as the world's slowest 
uh, way to transmit data. So our last story for this evening comes from Russia Today, or otherwise known as RT. Uh, and the, the title is False Flags and Cyber Wars, New Snowden Leaks Reveal Canada Spy Agency's Deception Toolbox. And uh, this is a, a news article about a PowerPoint, which, by the way, it just blows my mind with these huge budgets that the the way they communicate is via PowerPoint. But anyway, I I digress. It is the accepted medium of government communication. I think it's the accepted medium of most communication, apparently. But um, any, anyhow, there's really not a ton of new stuff in here, except for one little nugget. And that is a... Uh, some assertion in here that some of the capability that the Canadian intelligence agency is building is centered around false flag operations. And, uh, you know, the, the, again, the idea here is to be able to create dam or cause damage on some third party or adversaries systems and leave a trail that points to some other country. And, you know, when thinking back to the Sony debacle and others and, and our discussion about the difficulty of attribution, I mean, I think this kind of squarely points at why this is a real concern, right? Because we have, we have government agencies who are deliberately intending to do this. And so why would we not think that, you know, effectively everybody in that's playing the game, potentially even, you know, private sector in quotes players could be doing this. You completely stole my thunder on this one. You know, I agree with you. You know, I call attribution a waste of time. And here's one more reason why. Yeah, absolutely. Now there is one other thing I want to point out. It's not in the actual article. Actually, I think it is. It's kind of pointed out, but in a bad way. Uh, there's a slide that <laughs> it's titled, why is cyber critical? And, uh, oh my goodness. So they, they, just to paint the visual for you, it's a couple of concentric ovals, uh, overlaid on top of a, you know, a, a really bad representation of a, of a world map. And, uh, and they have a, they've got a small circle over, uh, over North Korea and they, that, represents the range of their short-range ballistic missile, North Korea's short-range ballistic missile. And then they have a, a little bit bigger purple circle, and that represents their medium-range missile. And then they have this giant red blob that covers the entire planet, and it maps back to a desktop PC that costs uh, costs 500 bucks. You know, and, and its attack payload is a DDoS. And I find it maddening and infuriating that an intelligence agency of otherwise really damn smart people are equating a ballistic missile or a nuclear missile with a goddamn DDoS attack. You're saying they're not the same? I mean, I, I, I've seen TV shows, they look the same. Anyway. I mean, that movie, that movie came out with Thor trying to stop the bad guys, and they blew up a power plant. <laughs> that seems that seems like a DDoS. Oh, I gotta go take my my medicine now. <laughs> well, you know I agree with you. You know, and and I'll go to my grave probably. Uh, again, saying attribution is a waste of time. It's it's completely too easy to fabricate false data. It's digital data created. There's nothing unique. It's created digital data. Therefore, I can create any digital data I want. Well, and I think it's even I think it's more it's worse than that, right? Everybody has an incentive to do this. Everybody has an incentive and it's very easy. It's very difficult to get caught. It's very easy to do, which by the way, I think is one of the reasons that you see people like the NSA and other agencies trying to get their their little fingers sunk into 
worldwide networks, you know, everywhere so they can hoover up all the data and hopefully, um, you know, as best they can see through the smoke screen that other agencies are trying to, to put down. So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's just, especially for, for us poor schmucks in the private sector, you know, trying to, trying to run attribution, uh, especially on a, on a government agency just seems like a waste of time. But, yeah. but, you know, hey, whatever. I still think the dice, the attribution dice, is probably the way to go. You know, if you really have to attribute it to somebody, why not go with the dice? I mean, it's, it will save you a ton of money. You, you can, you can, you can come up with an answer, a very definitive answer of who is responsible very quickly, very cost effectively. And it's probably not going to be, you know, all that much different than some, you know, highly paid consultancy would come up with. I like it. We so. should brand them. We should make someone brand them and sell them. I agree. I agree. Uh, you know, the one other thing, uh, so pretty much wrapped up that story. Do you think anything else Go, you want to say on that before no. we move on? That's it. Go ahead. Okay. So the other thing that, that occurred to me that I was, I was talking to another buddy who works in a security group for a, for a company. And he was telling me about the kind of the silos, something we don't talk about much, the silos and the rivalries going on between different parts of the IT organization and how that degrades security's capabilities. And it really struck me as, is this yet another risk that we don't do a good job dealing with how well our IT organizations function? You know, how often have we heard stories of networking versus security and it's always the firewall's fault and, you know, people building empires and, and, you know, so my takeaway from that conversation with my buddy was, hey, you know, you really need some strong, if, if you want to do security right, you can't be infighting in IT. You really have got to have, have your stuff together and, and get everybody on the same page. And that's not something I think we, we talk about much on the show, but you, you really, you know, it's hard enough dealing with the bad guys. If, if you're fighting amongst yourselves, you, you're already at a serious disadvantage to keeping your organization safe. Well, I agree. I mean, especially in the context of a of an incident response, if you don't have a well functioning, yeah, team, that can really cause some serious problems for you. You know, so we make the jokes about the bastard operator from hell and kind of stuff, but there's just no room for prima donnas and and uh, you know head cases like that. And and when you're trying to deal with security incidents. And, uh, you know, it's something to think about. You know, the other thing I want to mention really briefly, and maybe you'll throw, throw this in the show notes, is talk again with B-Sides. Uh, uh, a reporter for the Daily Dot uh, wrote a story on it. And, oh, oh, that's um, right. Speaking of prima donnas, yes. That's right. Absolutely. Only I can be a prima donna. Um, so uh, it's an interesting story. I think you did a good job kind of writing up. And, and you know, I'm not throwing this out there for my own sort of exposure, I, I think the topic is really important. So uh, take a peek if you want to read about it and yeah, see absolutely. maybe it'll be useful to you. I will put it in the show notes. So yeah, I, I, I agree. I, uh, I'm looking forward to the video of the talk coming out. I think that a lot of people will, will benefit from it. So Yeah, ditto. Anyhow. I have no, no idea when those videos are coming out, by the way. So um, it's a volunteer effort, takes time, so not sure when they're going to be available. Yep. Uh, understand. Understand. All right. Well, that is the show for this week. Um, I, you know, next week is April Fool's Week, and I really have no idea what sort of shenanigans we'll pull, if any. I don't think we should. Uh, probably not. We're above that. We're, yeah, totally. Totally. People, people rely on the show for hard hitting factual information. That's true. That's true. We've even had someone ask us to to go to a daily format, forsake forsake our families and our careers for for their own enjoyment. Oh, uh, okay. I, I know. I know, oh, if, I know. Hey, if they're willing to pay, uh, I, I don't think they're willing to pay. That's the problem. Uh, you know what? Five hundred k. That's right. 
Tell you what, he gets five friends. We'll drop it to 100k each. That's a bargain right there. That's a that's a bargain. Really, four friends. Math, you know. Whatever. Five total. I liked your math. I liked it the way it was before. All right. All right. Well, so that again, that is uh, that's our show for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. If uh, if you did, please give us some feedback on iTunes. You know, five star five star love gets us bumped up in the ratings. You know, if you don't, sorry. Uh, you know, there's always Security Weekly and some other a uh, bunch of other podcasts for you to listen to. Oh, and by the way, Jerry completely sober throughout the entire show. That's true. That's true. So, so please don't complain. two sh- two shows in a row. That's right. That's right. <laughs> One day at a time, Jerry. One day at a time. Yeah, that's right. One day at a time. Uh huh. So, uh, anyway, you can find the podcast on the internet at www.defensivesecurity.org, where you will find the show notes and our back episodes. You can follow the show on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can follow Mr. Callot on Twitter at Lurg and me on Twitter at MaliciousLink. Talk again next week. Take care. Have a good one. Have a great week. See See you guys. Bye-bye. I was literally managing checkpoint firewalls when you were in diapers. This is an exaggeration. I've been managing checkpoint firewalls for 20 fucking years. Shut the fuck up. Give me my access and get the fuck out of my way. All right. Today is Tuesday, March 24th, 2014. Oh, God damn it. You're wrong. You're so wrong. Fail. <laughs> you failed life. Oh, man. See, it goes way better when I drink. I'm not even... it's, it's, it's amazing you can even get dressed in the morning. Totally. Totally. Stone sober and I fuck it all up. It's a good thing you're bald or you wouldn't even know how to do your hair. Uh, damn. That hurt. You know, I can put up with everything. But, <laughs> but, but that one, but not that one. That just hurt. I, I take it back. I'm sorry. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.